Brother, how are you? <laughs> hey, brother. I'm good. You said that you're extremely sweaty today. Uh, yeah, I just did some exercising, and I'm now <clears throat> sitting in the bathroom, which is nice and humid, partially just because it's the bathroom, and I guess the other partially because of me. Yes. Um, yeah, so that's – enjoy that mental image. Yes. And, and uh, yeah, it's just another day in paradise. That's been my <laughs> saying today. <laughs> just another day in paradise. Just day, another day in paradise. How about you? Are you feeling better? I'm feeling so much better. Uh, uh, I'm feeling so much better for for people who, well, no one knows, actually. But on Friday, I had a very scary uh, episode. I had uh, the most intense vertigo spell, vertigo attack I've ever had in my life. T- really, really terrifying. And Have I think, you ever had any vertigo before in your life? No, actually, I guess I haven't. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I have. I have. Oh, yeah? But, yeah. Um, but not to the degree that, that you seem to, which is extreme. Yeah, this was, this was debilitating. This was... Um, I, this was, I, it, it actually was couldn't, so... Couldn't stand, couldn't get down the stairs. Right, couldn't couldn't move. Actually was in a sort of a hunched ball on the floor trying not to throw up. I couldn't, I couldn't even move. I couldn't even text and I could barely speak. And I think all that also induced a panic attack because I didn't know what was happening. So, you know, those two, two, two bad tastes that don't taste great together. Uh... Uh, it was a scary. It was a scary moment, but I recovered, and and our guest today actually uh, gave me some incredibly good and positive advice about this, and we'll get to her in a second. But uh, yeah, I'm feeling so much better, and I think it's really just just sort of an inner ear anomaly, and um, uh, I should be recovering just fine. But you know, in in this day and age, when when you are kind of scared to go to a doctor, go to a hospital for many reasons, and you also don't want to put any pressure on a hospital system, of course. If you are not going there for the, the Rona, then... The Quran. The Quran. I like to call it. <laughs> that's, that's the word of the week, the Quran. <laughs> the Quran. C apostrophe R-O-N, or R-A-W-N, depending on how you like to spell uh, it was it was really weird because we were actually doing this show, our our segment, our Bibro show, colon, the podcast segment, going the social distance, yes. which is what we're doing today. Yes. We were doing it last week with our good friend Nathan Barris, and Nathan in, told us a story about um, how, you know, COVID is they're, – they're finding evidence that it's it's – doing even weirder things than just respiratory um, illness. It's uh, potentially causing strokes in people. And this is something that I'm very curious to see what what our guest, our mystery guest has to <laughs> has to say about that. But 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 Nate told us about this and we we're like, huh? And I barely even processed. And then, and then, not even an hour later, you are curled up on your floor, not able to move. And your wife, Lindsay, texts me and she says, uh, don't worry, I've asked all the stroke questions. And it didn't, it didn't even like, I still hadn't processed that information yet, that people who are asymptomatic, and this is according to the, to the media, so I don't know how much truth there is in this, right. or isn't, but uh, there are people who are asymptomatic who are 
dying from strokes. And so clearly we were like, holy shit. Yeah. It was scary. It was scary. Sure. Um, and of course, for me, 10 times scarier being, you know, very far away and, and feeling helpless. Yeah. Um, but so I still don't understand how one gets an ear infection when you don't, when you can't leave your house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that is super weird. I guess you actually technically do leave your house. You, you've got an ear infection crossing the driveway <laughs> from your house to your office. That's when it happened. Um, yes. in, a, in a 50 to hundred foot span, that's where it happened. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. So let's go. I think we should just jump right in. And, and, and since we've been dancing around it, uh, yes. our, 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 our very old and dear friend, uh, Dr. Elizabeth, you can call her Beth or Dr. E or Dr. B, <laughs> Dr. Elizabeth Eagleson, MD, uh, is here with us today, all the way from Massachusetts. Beth Eagleson. Hello. Hello. I appreciate the formality of it, Vivid. Well. Well, you know, I have a question uh, that I like to ask all my doctor friends, which was uh, particularly ones who are women. Um, did you have a moment once? Have you had a moment maybe once or multiple times in your life where someone calls you Mrs. Eagleson or Ms. Eagleson? And you're like, bitch. Oh, it's Evan. Dr. Eagleson. <laughs> Every day. Every day. Can I tell you? Yes, I can tell you a story because that's why I'm here. Yeah. I have a patient who last visit kept calling me baby girl. So what? baby girl. <laughs> and so I interrupted her and said, could you please not call me baby girl? And she said, okay, Dr. Baby girl. <laughs> <laughs> and I just had nothing okay. to let it go. And I was just Dr. Baby girl that day. Wow. And that is your Instagram handle. So everyone tweet at Dr. Baby girl. <laughs> yeah. And Beth will diagnose you. She'll let you know that you do have COVID. <laughs> yeah. that's all it takes these days yeah. yes so beth is beth is the uh, doctor that before mentioned gave me some really fantastic advice and, and eased my mind about having vertigo and uh th there's another thing that i wanted to mention about beth that you could explain better uh that you you i've, I've been carrying this around with me and it's so great you're not really into the phrase social distancing because it's really not social distancing Right? Uh, correct. It is about physical distancing. It is important for us to be at least six feet apart from each other, but remain socially and emotionally connected. Yes, exactly. Which what what we're doing right now, which is the entire crux of this podcast. So I won't change the name of the podcast, but we will, we will forever more keep that in mind as we move forward. Great. Yay. Uh, there, there, there are so many people who are out there on the front lines that just, it's, I imagine it's, I, I mean, I'm guessing even for those people, I don't know, I'm just complete conjecture, but you know, we're, we're all going through this, this, uh, the stages of grief. Right. And, uh, I, you know, I feel like we're <clears throat> kind of surfing through acceptance at, at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit of, um, bargaining. Um, but and I wonder if people who, you know, nurses and doctors who are in hospitals in the thick of it, especially in New York, if they're experiencing that same thing or if it, they're just completely numb, who knows? Who knows? And I think that it is, and I also want to include like the janitorial staff, the unit secretaries, the people yeah, who deliver sure. to the hospital. Like it's not just doctors and nurses, respiratory therapists, like 
everybody. Yeah. There are a lot of people who are on the front line that maybe not that are not getting the recognition that they deserve. And I don't think that you can treat people in the front line as a monolith. I think there are a variety of responses and all of them are valid. There are, you know, in the the way the media portrays the healthcare providers, in some ways, they're heroes, they're doing their job, they're gonna stand up and do whatever needs to be done, regardless of the personal protective equipment. And I don't think all people feel that way, you know? <laughs> there are people who say, I'm gonna do the job, and I'm also gonna make sure I'm as safe as I can be. There are other people that may have different feelings, and those are those are all valid. But I think you're you're right when you said the word numb, because I think that there's both kind of this adrenaline rush when there's an emergency that happens. And, you know, as it wears on, that adrenaline rush goes away and you have other feelings. And that's kind of like an emotional anesthesia that like you just can't deal with all the other emotions that could or should pop up in the middle of a crisis. Is there any word yet when Massachusetts is quote unquote opening, reopening? Do you know when that's supposed to happen? Governor Baker said yesterday, the day before, that it will be at least May 18th. Um, okay. So we are, you know, Western Massachusetts looks different than both New York and Boston, but it appears that we are in a plateau, that we've already hit our peak and then are kind of in a plateau and we don't know when that will go down. Um, cases have been pretty stable. Massachusetts is on the forefront of the getting a robust contact tracing system in place. They're working with Partners in Health, which is an organization that has done work with Ebola in Africa. And they've done a lot of international work and so kind of had the framework for how to do this kind of public health project. Um, mm. And I think that's one of the pieces, testing and contact tracing have to be in place before Massachusetts will be able to open up. Ken, I've, I've been kind of confused as to what the contact tracing options, what that really is going to be and, and how that's going to help. Do you, what, what is it? Do you know? So I can't tell you exactly what it looked like because I don't know. Uh -huh. uh, but in general, if you, or if I went to the hospital and was diagnosed with coronavirus, uh, the Department of Public Health knows that because that is a reportable result. They would contact my local board of health and they would then call me and say, what have you done in the last few days? Okay, so you went to the grocery store, and it, what time was that? So they might be able to figure out who was working in the grocery store at that time that I might have had contact with. Maybe I went to take the trash and I interacted with the person at the dump. They would then contact those people and say, we need to test you and you need to self-quarantine. Say, Mike, that might bell going off. Yeah, there's a bell. It's a, it's a chime. It's a lovely sound, though. Oh, I have my email open in two different browsers. So I turn off. Okay. Back to contact tracing. So the idea is that you would be able to identify people who are in the pre-symptomatic phase or who may be asymptomatic but still contagious and get them home. Okay. Now, how is that? How is that connected to Google and Apple, as far as like the and, and the whole, you know, fearful Big Brother watching you kind of thing? So, in, in countries that are not like America, right? So, some Asian countries, yes. they put people who tested positive but who weren't sick in field hospitals. They didn't have a choice, and they tracked people on their cell phones 
So they would know if you left your house uh... and they would know if you left your neighborhood and you have to use a, a, like a barcode to get into places to buy food. So they know exactly who was where. Um, so there are concerns, of, I mean, very valid concerns about privacy. And so it's a balancing act between privacy and public health. Zoinks. Right. Um, where do you land on that? Um, I think we got to do a lot to get the, get the coronavirus under control. Yeah. But what I think is really dangerous is that dynamic playing into the political divide that right. we have in our country. Mm. And instead of seeing it for what it is as a tempor- temporary measure to tamp down a very dangerous virus, it becomes something bigger than it is. And I'm not mm. saying that I want to give up my rights, that I want to be tracked, but I think that there are public health measures that need to be instituted short term to make sure that people live and that yes. communities get decimated. No, I, the, the, I, have, I kind of strangely have far less problems with, a, with, the, with this solution. Uh, but the, the, the fear that I have is that post-virus, they won't turn those machines off. They won't. They won't turn that data collection off. And so, whether they say that they do or not, that's the yuck. Many populations in the world where it doesn't feel like a violation because they've always lived under regimes that exerted more control. Sure. It's difficult for Americans to conceptualize that. In, in Moscow, they're they're it's they're straight up just big big brothering, and they've. They've been um, upgrading their uh, facial recognition technology. So just out on the street on cameras, you know, if, if you've been on lockdown, if you were quarantined specifically because you're positive and you leave your quarantine, they will see your face <laughs> and they will come and get you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Getting chills. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's freaky. And it's, it's freaky. Hard. You're like, well, why can't people just stay home? They're like, they're... Like, you know, I get that there are people who are the primary breadwinner for their families and they've got a lot of people to feed. And they're desperate. Yeah, they're desperate that people who are poor can't always make safe choices. Right. So we need to support people and their efforts to stay home. So that means bringing them food and supplies and supplementing their income if they're out of work for two weeks. All of those things are really important. Two months. Or or six months. I mean... Itself. I mean, there are, there are lots of other issues about the economy and getting the economy back on its feet that I yeah. can't speak to because I know nothing about that. Right, right. But like paid sick leave is really important in, for public health reasons. I had a conversation with a friend this morning, and, and he's, actually, he's actually a doctor of uh, Chinese medicine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm going to completely butcher this, but I'll, I will attempt to impart what he was talking about. Apparently, there was a, a study recently um, of the spread of COVID-19 in prisons, and the they were looking at how contagious it was and how lethal it was. And um, in this controlled environment, it was actually, you know, the, the mortality rate was extremely low. And um, his argument was that, you know, if this is kind of a, you know, a microcosm of, of, of everything, then why are we so locked down? Um, and it's, it was, it was a strange conversation. I, I, the things that really rattle my cage is when I'm on Facebook and I, I see article after article of people talking about herd immunity and they don't seem to really understand the implications of herd immunity without a vaccine. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, to be fair, my friend, the this doctor of Chinese medicine, he wasn't necessarily saying like, what is everybody doing? He's just like everybody saying, you know, the economic threat is is as potentially devastating, if not more. Um, you know, say say that over the summer, the, the virus kind of pulls back and then in the fall, it comes raging back again and we still don't have a vaccine because we won't. Yeah. It's going to be even more devastating economically. Um, if we can't get people getting going back to work, so it's 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 nuts. Now, personally, m- my wife and I, our default is we are not doing uh, anything. But this is this is our life until there's a vaccine, and especially when you read articles that come out talking about people having a stroke, it just seems there's more and more evidence that there. You know, we don't really understand this virus yet. Oh, it's um, great. So, what effects it has. Okay. So, I, I threw a lot at you just you now. Um, <laughs> uh, obviously, so you've already touched on on the economic part, and just you know, none of us here are experts. We're just you know, Matt and I are in this weird boat of we're freelancers. So, oh, in some ways, the you know, there's not a lot different going on for us other than that it's even more uncertain as to whether we're going to get gigs or not. So, economy aside, in terms of lockdown and how long this needs to go on and contact tracing and all this. What are you planning to do when when Massachusetts on May 18th, are you going back into the clinic physically? Are you going into the grocery store? I'm already What's, going. What, what happens next? So my job hasn't changed all that much. Sometimes I'm able to be home, but I am going to the clinic and most days I'm still seeing patients. So that hasn't really changed. Um, I teach that's changed because that's all online Mm -hmm. and medical training is difficult because students are not allowed unless under certain circumstances to provide clinical care right now. So their medical education Mm -hmm. is on hold. That's changed. Um, I am, I went to the grocery, I've been to the grocery store once during all of this and I was horrified that nobody paid any attention to distancing. Um, I loved the one-way aisles that nobody paid attention to. <laughs> or they were like pointing the right direction but walking backwards, which <laughs> like that. So that was stressful. So I am like trying to figure out how to like do the best I can with what I can get, and that's not going to change, I don't think, after May 18th. Um, I mean, the big thing in my life is that my family is not living with me because I thought that I would be working inpatient and be more at risk. And so they are up in northern Vermont, but I think they're going to oh, come wow. back. Yeah, I haven't seen my family in six weeks. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. That's terrible. It is terrible. It is terrible because the Internet is so bad up there, I can't even really FaceTime with them. So I'm wow. not, I feel very disconnected. Um, but they are planning to come back in the next two weeks. Oh, um, wow. And, wow. We'll, and that has nothing to do with the May 18th. It just has to do with my risk level and what I perceive my job to be in the coming months. Yeah, I mean, the kids aren't going to go to summer camp. Uh, I don't know if we're going to do our typical stuff in the summer as a family. Usually my niece comes and stays with us in the summer. Like, no, she's not going to get on a plane and do that. So I don't see anything really changing. I think it will be only when I know that lots of asymptomatic people in the communities that I live and work in are tested and the numbers are sufficiently low that I don't feel like I'm at risk, that things will open up. And until we start doing 
all of that testing, we just don't know because, as you say, based on this prison population, a lot of people come through it fine, maybe never have symptoms. So you have no idea how what the burden is, what the prevalence mm-hmm. is in the communities. And until you start looking for it where you don't expect to find it, you're never going to know. Right. Well, we know here in Georgia, I mean, we're, we've, we opened up last Friday, so we're good. Go bowling and then get your hair cut. At least I went to Waffle House. We got tattoos. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, so what, so, so what about this in, insanity with, 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 with people getting strokes? What do you, what do you know about that? So I only know what I'm reading in the lay press right now. I mean, I am trying to keep up with some of the science, but it's all coming so fast. And right. So the article that I did read, maybe Washington Post, it looked at a number of maybe it profiled a doctor who got called in to do a procedure on someone who was having an embolic stroke, so stroke caused by a blood clot rather than bleeding. And it was a young person, and as he was removing the clots, he kept seeing more clots form and thought, like, this is really bizarre. And then I think his radar went off, and then he was noticing that there were a number of patients in their 30s to 50s with no underlying conditions who had large vessel embolic strokes. And I think they must have done, like, went back and did coronavirus testing on ones who died or tested those that were in the hospital at that point and um, saw an association. You know, I think it'll be, I just saw something in the New York Times about how, you know, obviously they're doing testing of people who are in the hospital, but they just looked at overall deaths and there are a lot of unexplained deaths. The death rate was higher than they could be explained by the coronavirus. So there are probably cases that went missed, maybe people who died in their homes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Right. Um, so I think we may find out more about these kind of symptoms. I mean, it's crazy to me that a virus could cause kids' toes to turn purple, mm-hmm. diarrhea, <laughs> sore throat, acute respiratory distress syndrome, embolic stroke, or nothing. It's like the rainbow sherbet of viruses. <laughs> <laughs> Can we, uh, going back to your comment about the prison, have you yeah. read anything about Sweden and what their approach has been? Yeah. I, I so, only saw a headline, and yeah. it the headline was that they were claiming it's been more effective than it has been. So tell, tell us all about it. So I, again, I don't know all about it because I'm reading about it in the paper, and I do have one friend who lives in Sweden, um, and she was terrified by the whole thing. <laughs> so Sweden basically said... I think it's really interesting how it gets to like the core of Swedishness. Um, so they're basically said, we're trustworthy. You can just trust us to do the right thing. Mm. <laughs> well, and that's probably generally true about the Swedes, right? Yeah, somebody else said it. And we're not very social. <laughs> so it's probably not. <laughs> it's too cold. It's too cold to be social there. And so they didn't really place restrictions. I think some of the schools were closed based on age. So I think the little kids were not in school, but maybe the older kids were. Um, There were some businesses that were affected, but restaurants and bars and whatever that was still open. Um, I think elders were aware and as a society, people like were mindful about getting close to elders or being around them. And it was kind of an experiment because they were doing something obviously very different than the rest of Europe. And the question is, did it work? 
And I think I saw, probably saw a similar article to you, like actually a lot of old people have died. And so I don't know what their marker of success is. Like, is it gross domestic product, gross domestic product, or is it (laughs) 70? I don't, I don't know. And I don't know the exact number, but I thought it was a really interesting, interesting way um, and for my friend who is Swedish and living there with three kids, she was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, this is not good. And she kept her kids home from school. For, for anyone out there who doesn't know what herd immunity is exactly, could you explain that to them? Yeah. So herd immunity means that if a certain percentage of the population is immune to an infectious disease, then it's just not going to spread. So if you have a community where 95% of people are immune to measles, and somebody comes into the community with measles, it's not going to spread very far. But if you have a community that is only 60% immune to measles and somebody introduces measles into the community, it's going to spread. So it's just a, you know, so it kind of protects those 5%. There was a visual on, I don't know, some, some commercial that showed a row of matches and then one of the matches drops out and the fire spreads to all the matches. And as soon as the match hits the empty space where that match was, it stops. So oh. think about herd immunity that way. So if there's a fire going around and everybody's a match, but then there are a bunch of, I don't know, wet matches or whatever the analogy is, it is not going to spread to those and then it's not going to spread any further. So that's why you know vaccine-preventable diseases are not that prevalent when you're in communities where there's herd immunity. Obviously, there are communities now where it becomes... Um, oh, and Matt is... Sorry. So I just dropped... I just dropped into the chat uh, an article that I read the other day that I was I was very thankful to come across. Um, I've never heard of sciencealert.com, so I can't speak to their credibility or not. The the author of the um, of the article is uh, a virologist, I believe. Um, but they were talking about why herd immunity will not work without a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it works for measles because we have MMR. And measles right. don't kill you, right? Measles? Oh, yes, it does. It can. In this, oh, sorry. In this, in this article, he talks about mumps. So mumps, mumps are not deadly. But measles, okay, measles will mess you up, guys. Measles get, get, don't get measles. Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated for, for measles if you haven't already. The mumps vaccines are one and the same. The MMR, measles, mumps, rubella. Okay, cool. Yeah. I think I got that. I think I, I think I took care of yeah. that. If you went to public schools, even in North Carolina, you got even in North Carolina. Anyway, I was very thankful to see this article because I've seen so much BS flying around social media about herd immunity, and I get it. People are desperate to go back to work; they're freaking out, and and they they want another solution, but. The first thing that I read that kind of rocked my world was an article recently, uh, or actually towards the beginning of this experience, and it was basically laying out the timeline of uh, when a vaccine will be, you know, available, how long that will take, uh, you know, and what would happen if we did not social or physically distance, you know, ourselves and, and the mortality rate thus far. And so in that moment, that was the day when I said, oh, this is, life is not going to, life is going to be like this until vaccine day, whenever that is in 2021. 
And maybe that's more extreme, but I, you know, and certainly if I had a job where I had to go into a restaurant, it would be, I'd have, maybe I'd feel differently or, you know, any job where I couldn't work from home. But these ideas about people, you know, pitching herd immunity and they just, they scare me because I feel like that's the person in the grocery store who's walking two feet away from you, right? Who's, Who's not... In who's in the way? They're in the one way. They're going the wrong way in the one way lane. What, the, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, so I, I think we don't know a whole lot about this coronavirus. And so if you think about the flu virus, influenza, and influenza is not the same as a coronavirus, but you don't get herd immunity to influenza that lasts for years, right? It like mutates, mm-hmm. and every year you get a different strain. And we don't know with the coronavirus if that's going to be similar, right? Right. We just don't know. There's a lot unknown about it. Was yeah. there a vaccine created for SARS? Uh, I don't think so. Here's a question that popped into my head. Yeah. Um, you know, I got my first flu vaccine last year, right before uh, Matt's and my band went on tour. I'd never gotten one. Matt gets them annually. And I'd never done it, but but for the past few years that we've been, been on tour and you're around a bunch of people, I came home and just deathly ill. And I was like, I'm not doing that again. And it worked. And, and I know it worked because uh, Elise got the flu and it was brutal. And I was here taking care of her and never got sick. Anyway, so my question is, the flu, despite its mutations, is once they developed a vaccine for it, it's still similar enough that you can, within the span of a... Of, of this, you know, a year, the season of the next mutation, you can adapt that vaccine for the next year, clearly, because they do it every year, right? If it's like influenza, yes. Yes. So I'm guessing there isn't any vaccine for any coronavirus out there. No. Yeah. Okay. No. Beca- because there hasn't been a need? Uh, yeah. I mean, most coronaviruses cause upper respiratory infections like common cold. Obviously, SARS and MERS cause more serious outbreaks. Um, so no, we don't have vaccines against coronaviruses in general. What, what you just said, Biv, though, was very interesting to me. And, and that's, that's the way I had to start looking at the flu virus. The, um, was that I, when someone finally sat down and said, look, this is not about you being immune to whatever flu is happening right now. That's not necessarily going to prevent you because every year it's just a it's sort of a guesstimation as to as to what needs to go into each vaccine every year. So you know, based on a, a number of factors, and it probably adjusts. Maybe it starts in Australia and then they even tinker it before we need it here in the United States or whatever. But I was told. Interestingly enough, like it's not about you personally getting sick necessarily. It's about you getting it and passing it on to people who it would actually kill. So, getting the getting a vaccine is definitely not. It's definitely about sure. I mean, partly about about a well being, but it's also so that it doesn't spread. Period. Um, exactly. Yeah, and that's that's so hard. It takes so long because you don't. No one wants to get a shot. <laughs> it takes so long to figure that out. But w- once I finally did, um, I was like, okay, that's that's what. I, and, that, and that's what we're going through right now. That's exactly what we're going through right now. Just we're, we're doing it without any kind of vaccine, any kind of protection because we don't have one. And I I wonder how 
I'm naive. I kind of hope that this situation will make people accept vaccines more readily. Yeah. That maybe haven't. Yeah. Know that that will be true. Um, but that is my hope. Yeah. Read that a lot of the anti-vaxxers are combining with the protesters against the quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's... And that makes my heart heavy. Yeah. Um, is right. It's, it's something that we do, you know, that I get mine every year because I have to. Um, but I would anyway, but I do it to protect my patients. Right. Hopefully. Um, and I just think it is, it's a overall good for the community. It's, um, but the anti-vaxxers are also checking out the bleach injection approach. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, the, so the interesting thing, I, 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 that's, that is, yeah. And that's definitely going to cure, by the way, that's, you, mm. you heard it, you heard it here. First. You won't die of coronavirus. <laughs> you won't die of coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> that, you could say that with 100% yes. the, uh, confidence. The funny thing is I, I am absolutely not an anti-vaxxer in any way. Uh, you know, we, you know, we know, and, and we know some anti-vaxxers and I know why they are anti-vaxxers. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that their decisions are correct or I believe in them, or I support them in any way, shape, or form. Uh, in fact, the, the science on every level has proven that that was a, a and it is, and it's an extremely dangerous movement. Uh, but I also, on a personal level, understand that people just want, they want answers. And when, and when you don't have the ability to actually grab those answers as fact, when there is no question, when you've got a president who's who's like hmm maybe i should inject something you know like <laughs> when you're living in a world like that where you don't have any kind of security any kind of you know any kind of like comforting voice of reason i also get it on some levels i get it i get why you would go down that path to a degree yeah no i'm not saying on an individual level that you know people all have their reasons right i guess i'm hoping that there will be there's some people who might be persuaded because of this situation to look at vaccines different. Yeah, I would love that. Thinking about this situation is that we need to have some ground rules and they are stay home, wash your hands, don't be racist and listen to scientists. <laughs> <laughs> Those are great. I love, I, I've heard the first two. The second two I've never heard before. That's really great No one's advice. ever told not racist? <laughs> <laughs> It's, it is so telling about the times that we are living in where you, that has to be something that has to be vocalized. <laughs> it's so it weird. Absolutely does. I, you know, again, being in a place of privilege, I don't recognize, you know, the depths yeah. of racism mm -hmm. and yeah. that people experience, but it's real. And it's not that it wasn't there before the, the Tang emperor and his cronies and his followers, you know, have risen up. It was it was there before too, but it's sure. just it's so in our face. Well, so we've spent a lot of this time picking your brain as a doctor, um, but one really one of the things that, that that we try to get at when we have these conversations is what are you doing in this time that um, to kind of offset this weird experience. So last week we talked to our friend Nate. He's doing this incredible um, photography project um, called the Sheltered Home Project where he's taking pictures of people. Uh, so what, you know. How are you hanging? How are you hanging? How, how, how are you holding hang, up? 
Yeah. What, so what are you doing? What's fun? Like Matt and I play D and D. Yeah. That's our that's our nerdy thing. Um, what what are you doing? Um, I'm not as cool as Nate, but you knew that before you invited me to come on. <laughs> None of us are. None of us are. Uh, no. um, okay. So I'm still working a lot. So that makes it <laughs> a little hard because there's that's actually taking up more space than it usually does. But sure. I have been very conscious about silver linings about all of this. Mm. And I am really sad to not be with my family. Yeah. I miss yeah. them. I think it is very weird to not have any physical touch. Like mm. I'm, I'm like an oxytocin withdrawal or something. It's really weird. <laughs> but the silver lining is that in my normal life, I'm never alone. And I actually kind of like being alone. Hmm. And so yeah. this has given me an opportunity to like think about what I really want my life to be like and what work-life balance should actually be like and maybe what my goals are. Um, so that has given me just space to be myself because I yeah. feel like I have all the roles that I have and I'm never just me. So right now, mm -hmm. like when I'm not working, I'm just me. And that feels good. I, yeah. in terms of like activities and things I'm doing, I am, I've been running and I, meditate mm -hmm. and I have been really enjoying the Metropolitan Opera streams and the New York City Ballet streams of old performances. I am trying to listen to the news and read in Spanish to improve my proficiency. Nice. So everything that at home happens in Spanish now. Um, I've been knitting and I like to bake, but it's just me. So that feels really weird. Banana but bread? I have not made banana bread. Mm. I, my, I haven't, my sourdough starter precedes the coronavirus pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> but I had trouble finding flour, but I finally did find a source of flour. But then my husband was like, well, you like to bake, so just bake. It doesn't matter if you eat it. And I have a deep freezer. So he's like, well, why don't you just start making Christmas cookies? Boom. <laughs> right? Nice. That's brilliant. So baking bread, and I have been making cookies and freezing things. Um and I've really enjoyed reconnecting this social and emotional connection with people that I don't always spend a lot of time with. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, like, like you guys, um, like Nate, um, and there's some other friends and it's been another silver lining is that I've realized some friends have popped up that maybe I've not been that close to. And I'm realizing really how strong those relationships are. Yeah. And that's been fabulous. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to phrase this in a, in a way that's hopeful and not, not sad because I actually could get sad about this too. But I, I had a realization the other, the other day that I was really kind of enjoying this life. <laughs> I mean, yeah. with, with all the fear and with, with all the, uh, you know, the insecurity and the weirdness and the financial po possibility of, of ruin, I was like, but I don't really but I love having the house. I love having, I, I love it being just us. I love, I love not feeling like I have to do certain things and I love being able to more comfortably uh, check up on people and more comfortably play Dungeons and Dragons, you know? And I was like, I don't really want it to go back. But I think what we're, you're not the first person even on this podcast that has said recently that it, it will be a struggle, of course, but we really 
we maybe we really should just journal the hell out of this experience and and keep going back and say no 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 I was happy about this I was in touch with this person and it was really great I had alone time and it was so necessary and because that's going to be one of the first things that we forget but I hope that we don't like I hope that I don't I hope that I I hope that there's a part of me that's changed and I I I I take it with me in the in the yeah. new future well, it all goes back to being mindful and we have to really be, you know, whether you journal or there's some other way that you reflect. Yeah. Um, you know, I, one of the things that has really struck me is that, you know, I, I mean, I, I am losing people that I know and that I care for and care about. And if I have a really hard day, it is very clear to me that when I go home, I cannot just sit on the couch and get back into my inbox and start working. Like right. I have to turn it off and do something mm. else good and deal with the emotions and like that is i don't think that's gonna go back i think that's gonna stay because that seems awfully healthy <laughs> <laughs> yeah but do, are we gonna learn do you think we're best do you think we're gonna learn from this as a as a species so we will and i i have joked that like when i get old my kids are gonna be like yeah Grandma's weird about hugs. Like, there's just going to be something that's <laughs> about. I don't think I will be weird about hugs, but I, I, there'll be things like our grandparents might have been very stingy, and that was all blamed on the Great Depression. Uh, that yeah. we get older and life sort of returns to normal, we're going to still retain some of this. But as assuming this doesn't keep happening, as we get old and die, and our kids, it's back in their memory. Like, it's going to go back to normal until it happens again. Yeah. Yeah. But it's never, I mean, it's always going to be part of us and how we are. I, I, I'm really interested to see how we interact physically when things open up. You know, there are a lot of friends that I have that it's very natural for me to give them a hug and a kiss. And I feel like all of, when I see these people again for the first time, it's every single time it's going to be, the end of an awkward first date and I yeah. don't know what <laughs> <laughs> I don't even let Elise touch me I'm like oh you're gross <laughs> yeah I, yeah okay. well we'll check in but I'll, I'll probably still want to hug you um uh, yeah. yeah but you know what that's gonna be like we yeah I know you. Are we doing this? Are we yeah uh, uh so, but I know that I know that your time is precious and and um we are so grateful that you came on. I know that I know that this podcast got even more serious than I thought it was going to be because it could have gone any kind of way. It could have it could have just been us reminiscing about old times, which would also have been great. But also, we're very very happy to know you and know that you could be hopefully a voice of reason to anyone listening. You know the the ten. I think it's up to seventeen people that are listening now. To end if to end with hopefully some levity, Lindsay Drexler who gave us the idea for this, this segment, uh, has five questions that she needs to ask oh. every one of our guests. If you're ready, they can be very quick answers. Okay. Um, just, you, you can be rapid no fire. I know, I know, no, I know I said no questions, but then I, that I was wrong, but they're, they're great questions. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite baby animal? Oh, hedgehog. Ooh, nice. Dang, good choice. Good. Excellent. Uh-huh. Uh, comfort food of choice. <laughs> Oopma. Okay. What? 
¿Qué es esto? ¿Qué, qué es eso? <laughs> Uma is like curried cream of wheat. What? One of my roommates. One of my roommates would make it and it is like uh oh, Uma with a poached egg, man. It's my oh, dude. God. What are you gonna send us this recipe? Because yeah. I'm ready. Sure. I'll send you the recipe. Okay. Uma. Great. Uh, you, this may not apply to you, but then again, I just saw the that Cumberbatch like like live streamed Frankenstein, so maybe you will have an answer to this. But go go to movie for cheering up. Princess Bride. Ah, excellent. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. That's a strong choice. Yeah. Let's see. Um, you kind of have already touched on this, but things that you've learned about yourself. Is there anything else that you're, especially anything that you've you you're really proud of in this time? Uh, it might just be that you're you're proud of being able to uh, carve in some quiet time. But but is there anything else you'd like to add to that? I think I'm really proud of some of the friendships that I've strengthened during this time. Yeah. And I'm. I guess, yeah, it goes both ways. I'm yeah. proud of the friend that I can be right now because I have some time alone and really happy that other people have connected with me too. Yeah. Uh, and finally, what will be the first thing you do when, whether it's herd invulnerability <laughs> or <laughs> virus, <laughs> what's the first thing that you, what's the first thing you're going to do in the, in the real world? In the real world? Well, I guess I'm thinking about the, before that happens, like my family coming home and yeah. I just like want to re wrestle with all of them, including the dogs. Oh, of course. Um, I am really looking forward to, I live in a, a small town and I'm looking forward to walking to the library and going to the coffee shop yeah. and going yeah. to the movie theater, which shows really great movies. Amher Cinema is streaming movies. If anybody is curious, if they've got great movies. And then going to the bookstore downtown and buying books. I love all those things. It sounds great. And I, and I love you, Beth. I love yeah. you. Uh, and stay home and wash your hands and don't be racist and listen to something. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's truly the best advice that it, pretty much anybody could get. Yeah. Well, you're the best, and thank you so much for spending this time with us. If, yeah. you, if you live in the Massachusetts, in the Amherst, Massachusetts area, um, we recommend that you go see her <laughs> if you yeah. need to. If you want. If uh, you're still don't, taking don't, don't overtax her if you don't. You, you know, <laughs> it's just like you stub your toe. Then just forget it. Um, I oftentimes wish that my um, my veterinarian, I love my veterinarian, uh, veterinarian so much. I wish that, that he was my, my MD, my, my actual <laughs> doctor, my GP. But but I would trade him up for you any day. Yeah, me too. Um <laughs> That means a lot. And I appreciate that even though we're physically distant, we're staying socially and emotionally connected. Me too. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And as always, love you, brother. Miss you. Love you, brother. Love you. Just another very day much. in paradise. Just another day love in paradise. Love you guys. Both, all you guys. Bedroom.